You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders. Flashback with me to 2013, if you will. A decade ago. In 2013, Iron Man is the biggest movie of the year. Nothing's been the same since New York. Macklemore has the biggest song. Hey, Macklemore, can we go thrift shopping? What, what? Can you recall thrift shop? I mean, how could you forget? But the biggest and buzziest mixtape of 2013, that came from Chance the Rapper. Even better than I was the last time, baby. It was called Acid Rap. We back. Acid Rap made Chance a star. And not every song on this mixtape was happy, but there was an exuberance that felt extremely festive and joyous and fun. Acid Rap is 10 years old now, and Chance is honoring the anniversary with a little mini tour. And like 10 years later, Acid Rap is still just as good. But overall, hip-hop right now doesn't feel nearly as joyous. The biggest rappers of this moment, they're kind of sad or angry or both. I'm talking about Drake. I'm talking about Travis Scott. The list goes on. What happened to hip-hop in the years since Acid Rap made it all seem so fun? Hey, everybody. Hi. Got to talk to Chance himself about all of that this episode. Part of me, I'm also eating chicken. What kind of chicken? (laughs) You got to say, fried, grilled. What the last 10 years of hip-hop have felt like for him, how and why Acid Rap still holds up, and what he's learned about himself and politics and the world since he released Acid Rap 10 years ago. All of that after the break. Stay with us. It's a whole new swag. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I say all that to say I am ready. We ready to talk about the hard topics. Yep. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Acid Rap captured this like youthful exuberance. Not every song was happy, 
but a lot of it was happy, and there was this energy that crackled and just felt alive. You know, the Pitchfork review of Acid Rap basically calls you a hip-hop Ferris Bueller. Like, that kind of energy. And I kind of love it. You know, like, this is the yeah. mixtape for cutting class one day your senior year of high school. Like, that energy, if that makes sense. Chance, acid rapper, soccer, hacky, sacker, cocky, khaki, jacket, jacker, slap, happy, fat, Yeah, that's slap, crazy. I, 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 don't I don't know how long it's been since I read my Pitchfork review of acid rap. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like... For me, what was so cool about it was that it was real underground. Mm. So, like, in the climate of, like, music and how people got music back then, it was, like, still very heavy on the iTunes side. This is pre-Apple mm-hmm. Music or any, like, large-scale streaming or DSP. And so, around that time, I was, like, trying to shop for deals. You know, I was trying to get, you know, some type of major backing and stuff. And it just wasn't really working out the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And we put together this mixtape with my own money and the way it spread was just, it was so different, you know, like a, uh, SoundCloud, DatPiff. Yeah. Let me tell you, I had the DatPiff app on my iPhone just to listen to you. Yeah. A lot of people have that story. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this thing is. Is it full of viruses? Is it going to ruin my, what is DatPiff? But I did it for chance. I sure did. That's love. Yeah. That's the reason. I think that's a big reason. I mean, the music is, to me, objectively great music, but it's also, it was something you had to go outside of your typical iTunes or buying a, a CD yeah. from FYE or Walmart or Best Buy. And you just had to like, you had to get it. You had to find you it. Had to had, somebody had to it. tell you yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, and then that meant that when you found it, you felt like you were in the special club. Exactly. I got acid rap. You don't, do you? You don't. Exactly. I have it. Where was Chance 10 years ago when Acid Rap was released? What did your life look like? What was your life then? I mean, uh, I didn't have money. But <laughs> I also didn't have kids, so it didn't really matter that I didn't have yeah, money. Yeah. Um, and I was living at my parents' house and just trying to make this dream work. You know what I mean? Like, So this was my second mixtape under the moniker Chance the Rapper. And I had dropped a mixtape the year before this called 10 Day. Mm-hmm. It was all about me getting suspended from high school. I got suspended. Ooh, you got suspended for chief and 100 blunts, 14, 400 minutes. And that landed me on a national tour with Donald Glover as an opener. Now, nobody in the crowd knew who I was. But you but were there. Also, like, yeah. I was there, and I made sure my presence was known. I was always a very poised performer, even when I was, you know, 18 by myself out running around doing these cities, I was always trying to spread this music that I was making. Mm -hmm. And I think the preparation of that tour put me in the right mind state as a performer and as a showman to like really try and push to make this mixtape heard. And so I was right after Asarab dropped, I was just running around every place I could go to try and get it, you know, spread to different people trying to do whatever yeah and then i got picked up on tour to go on tour with mac miller okay who was incredibly impactful to my career and to my understanding of the industry yeah soon after that i I went on a couple other tours in europe opening up and then i did my first tour and that was when i first 
made some money. And I know I keep talking about money like it doesn't matter, but mm, at, it if matters. you keep asking me about it 10 years matters. ago, yeah, it mattered a it lot. Matters. It matters. a lot, a lot. Don't be yeah. ashamed to talk about money. Don't be ashamed <laughs> to talk about chicken. This is a safe space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I remember when I felt like, oh, this is going to be bigger than just, like, some dude's mixtape. I remember hearing Juice and then hearing Juice everywhere and then talking to my friends about Juice and being like, you've never heard anything like this. But, like, when did you know that acid rap was gonna just take you to that next level? Like, was there a day? Was there a moment? Was there a concert? Was there a moment in which you heard yourself on the radio? Like, when did you know acid rap was about to blow up or was blowing up? So acid rap never was, like, on the radio. Like, I mean, outside of, like, probably locally or, like, yeah. the DJs and random markets yeah. that wanted to just play a song. But, like, what the two moments that I can remember mm-hmm. is, one, I did a listening party the day of the release in Chicago mm-hmm. that, like, I, like, rapped a couple of the songs, but played the mixtape all the way through. And I remember there being a line around, like, two blocks long this, the uh, of people, like, waiting outside. Wow. And I just remember the difference between that listening party and the listening party for my 10-day mixtape. Like, yeah. Uh, it was just so different. Mm-hmm. And so I went on tour in Europe that same year in 2013. I, I got two really cool offers to do a few dates with Eminem. Uh, and Whoa! Ireland, yeah, pretty crazy, right? Eminem in Ireland. You were you were with the whites, doubly so. No, yeah, yeah. Wow. I was in Dublin, surrounded by whites. But it was so I went from playing opening for Mac Miller and Donald Glover for like twenty five hundred cap rooms in America, where I was kind of still struggling to get you know to have enough more than seven people at the show who knew who I was to go into foreign countries with Eminem and get this. Macklemore. Macklemore took me on a whoa, full... Whoa, 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 stop. In the same year. Whoa, 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 whoa stop. I mean, <laughs> you had to open for Macklemore. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. You may be entitled to compensation. It's, it's not a bad thing. Macklemore wow. is a, is Go a good dude. Macklemore okay. is a really good dude, actually. And he's a lot like me. His entire staff, backup dancers, all the features on his album were all people that he grew up with or went to high school with in Seattle. Huh. But I went out there with Macklemore and with Eminem, and I was playing for these sold-out rooms where the entire audience not only was there specifically for the main act and didn't really know who I was, but in a mm-hmm. lot of cases didn't even speak English. And so there was a really big barrier between me and like bringing people on, yet alone being recognized for this body of work that I put out that I was seeing going crazy in the States, but I was stuck overseas. And so I did that Macklemore tour. I think it was something crazy, like 40 dates. I was gone for like two and a half months. And when I came back, I did my own little mini tour. It was uh, every major and small market around the U.S. So is that when you knew? Yes, that was the longest answer you probably ever got on the show. That's okay. Yeah, but that's when I felt like, oh, this is different. I'm selling out shows. Yeah. Yeah. What song from Acid Rap hit the hardest in those concerts? You know, throughout, this is not me gassing it at all. You could not hear my voice on the mic because of how loud the audiences were Uh, for each song in each city. I think everybody had an attachment or some type of connection to the project in full. This is my last, my last shit. There's one song that I do on the project called Chainsmoker that's like eclectic, like very like different mm-hmm. but still high mm-hmm. energy sound like a prince my fucking mother shut your mouth 
still a chain smoking, name dropping, good looking, motherfucker. When I would do that record, I would do it last, and we were just talking last night. Like, that was the first time that I had effects on the road. Hmm. Remember, like, halfway through the tour, I added this confetti cannon that would shoot off at the end of Chainsmoker, and it was just. It would just be a beautiful moment. It was my, it would be my closing yeah. song every night, and yeah. and that was like the one that the room would shake for, and and really you just couldn't hear anything but the lyrics. What was your favorite song on Acid Rap and why? My favorite song on Acid Rap is probably probably Acid Rain. No, 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 no. Just because it's the most pure to yeah. me. It's a long single verse song with no hook. That's just me rapping very transparently and like talking about issues that I had with drugs with some of my closest friends i seen it happen i seen it happen i see it always he still be screaming i see his demons in empty hallways i tripped to make the fall shorter fall quarter was just a tall order like it was a lot of like stuff that i would not normally talk about so plainly in my music mm-hmm. Assering was no music video no hook mm. it's not like a the mm. typical 2013 Turn up, turn up record. You know, it's just me rapping honestly. Sometimes the truth don't rhyme. Sometimes the lies get millions of views. Funerals for little girls, is that appealing to you? From your cubicle, desktop, what a beautiful view. Stay with us more with Chance the Rapper on the 10 year anniversary of Acid Rap and one of its biggest influences, Kanye West. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. So, in spite of having these songs that deal with, you know, PTSD, drug use, etc., one of the big vibes in acid rap is like joy and fun. You know, like you've got Pitchfork calling you a hip hop Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Fast forward to Coloring Book. It's also an album that's full of like happy vibes. How great 
It's soulful. You're sampling gospel choirs. You rap about all of the things, but you become known as kind of a joyous rapper, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I look at Acid Rap and Coloring Book together and compare it to stuff I hear today, and when I think about where rap stands today, especially in this, like, 50th anniversary year of hip-hop, it seems like none of the biggest men in rap are as happy or having as much fun as you were on those albums, and also on the big day as well. Like, I feel like all the women in rap right now are having fun. They like, are their songs fun. are fun, their energy is fun. The men seem sad. Is it mm. fair to say that? That's deep, yo. Why, why, do you think why they're would happy? all these men be sad? But do, but do you see what I'm saying? Do you, do you see think, what I'm saying? I don't though? think they're happy. Yeah, I so do, what's 100%. Up with that? What's up with that, Chance? Tell me. Man. If we're being honest, like the investment from everyone outside of the culture into the culture is usually the they want to experience something or hear about something that they don't experience. And what a lot of us experience is melancholy, is Mm. sad, is Mm. displacement, it is poor relationships, it is poverty, it is attacks on your humanity or your masculinity or your, you know, it's a, it's a lot. And then I think I was lucky to make it off the indifferent, but a lot of people make it off of a, just a different angle of the same shit. So mm-hmm. I feel for niggas. Like I feel bad. I feel sad when I see, I was just watching a video on Instagram today. That was like, it was somebody I know from Chicago and they was like, why you think we be in the club feeling some type of way, feeling on edge just cause we listening to Fucking four hours of murder music back to back, yeah. like 20 yeah. known serial killers were rapping about like the most yeah. despair you ever seen. And we like, and we memorizing these records or we, we have to come in contact with them every time. Yeah. And we got PTSD. Most of us have lost somebody to violence or witnessed some mm-hmm. type of violence that's, that scarred us. But here's the thing. When I think about you explaining what these men in rap have gone through, Black women in rap have experienced the same world. They're coming from the same spaces. Every black woman I see in rap, at least the lead single, they're having a good time. They're having a good time. And I wonder, does gender affect this? Yeah, but do you think that, is it a possibility that even though it's coming from a happy lens, that they might still be rapping about trauma? Or like, that that they're still talking about disparities in agency or like, or, or trying to like create a space where they have more agency and it's still not necessarily through the healthiest ways. So I think to me, hip hop is a tool for black upwards mobility and yeah. a way to like collectivize. And we don't have all the necessary power to create a full, cause if, if I'm being honest, the women at the top of hip hop aren't talking about capitalism and how that affects our, our blackness or like deconstructing it. The ones that are the most successful, I don't yeah. think, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think about 2013 and the mood of hip hop shifting since then. I know that Kanye West has been a big influence for you. Yeah. And the album that Kanye West released in 2013, the same year you released Acid Rap, was Yeezus. After that, it's just hopeless. Soulmates become soulless. When it's over, it's over. And bitch, I'm back out my coma. Which was kind of his first turn into some darker territory where he's remained ever since, you know? Do you think 
if it's safe to say that rap isn't as happy as it was 10 years ago, can you put your finger on any point of like actual shift when it began or what caused it? Mm, that's a great question. Was it Kanye pivoting? Was it other stuff? Was it like, was it Trump winning? Like what? Like, <laughs> why is hip hop not as happy today as it was when Acid Rap came out? I think shit's just worse. Like, <laughs> like, I think shit is just worse, like in all forms of it, in terms of public safety, you know, even the weather, like the world, the earth <laughs> yes. is not, not yes. as lit as it was in 2013. The world is not as lit as it was yeah. in 2013. You're right. Yeah. You're right. But I feel like I, I remember when, when Ye's album dropped in 2013, I remember hearing it and i wasn't really too keen on it when it first came out like mm. and i remember kind of checking to see because i wasn't too keen on 808s and heartbreak when it dropped but i could see within that year so many more people start to lean into that territory of auto-tune and mm -hmm. rappers you know singing more and being more melancholy and creating mm -hmm. more real pop songs yeah i think if i yeah. had to blame it on something i would just say Times is hard. Like everybody, yeah, everybody's yeah. just rapping what they know. That's true. I want to talk a bit more about Kanye. I mean, you've talked about it before. You hear folks it all the time. So much of that Chicago soul sound that we yeah. hear in your music, we also hear in Kanye's music. I'm, I mean, there's yeah. obviously a sonic connection there, but I want you to talk specifically about how his work was affecting you in that moment, putting out acid rap, making acid rap. Because I'm yeah. sure it was in some way. No, right? it was. In so many ways. I mean, the intro to acid rap. Even better than I was the yeah. last time, baby. Ooh, 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 ooh. We back? Uh, good ass intro is a direct sample from the intro to a Kanye West mixtape that came out when I was in high school. Really? Ah. Ooh, 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 ooh. It's your boy Kanye I'm to the... Good. And we back. So good. Feeling better than ever, huh? Even better than I was the last time, baby. Yo, John. Ooh, can't complain, huh? That even better than I was the last oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's John Legend. That's John Legend. And then I had my homegirl, Lily K, sing over it. But like. Whoa. That. And then there's like there's like six interpolations towards the end of the record. Like the, uh, of that well, song. Because good-ass like, outro is like yeah, bringing it yeah, back. The idea. Exactly. Yeah. Those are a lot of interpolations of, of Kanye produced beats for like Common or Twista or himself. Huh? And so okay. I was, I mean, but my, my, not my whole life, but since, you know, 04, I've been extremely influenced by Ye's music and, and his art. And I think uh, after I dropped 10 Day, it did really well in the city. And like I said, I got to go on a national tour from it, but I didn't really feel, I felt like my music hadn't allowed me to mobilize the way that I wanted to. And I think my mm. biggest influence still at that time was still the college dropout and, and late registration and, and music yeah. that he was making around that time. I read somewhere that you got the college dropout when you were in the fifth grade uh -huh. and that, that album let you know that you wanted to rap. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I did poetry before that. I was always in the performing arts. I used to dance was really what my thing was. I was I was a dancer. Was what kind of dancing? Uh, all kinds of dance. I wasn't really into like choreo like except for like footwork and stuff like so okay. in chicago there's a big juke and footwork scene um mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. in addition to that 
I loved Michael Jackson, so I used to do little talent shows where I would impersonate Michael Jackson when I was really little. And oh my god, yeah, that. yeah, no, I was adorable. But uh, <laughs> when I, as I got older, I got into I think around the third grade. Mm-hmm. I got really into poetry and I used to write my own poems and try and recite mm-hmm. them and write poems for girls. And then it was when I was in fifth grade and I heard Through the Wire and All Falls Down the same night on, on the radio on a little Yo. Walkman Yo. that I had. And it just changed my whole perspective on like who I was and what I was supposed to be doing. And I started writing raps. That major that she majored and don't make no money, but she won't drop out her parents to look at her funny. Now, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so secure. But it's wild to just think back on how much Kanye and his introduction to us meant for black men in that moment and for black boys too. I think like, up until then, I had never had an example in music of a black man who could rap and also talk about working at the Gap and also yeah. talk about going to college and then leaving it. He yeah. was multidimensional and intersectional in some ways that I had never seen a black man in music be allowed to be. So it's like on top of his music just being influential for the sound, he opened up a sense of possibility in terms of what black men were allowed to be in the public eye. And I still, 100%. I still feel that from him, even though, you know, he's taken a turn, you know? I mean, people are people, yo. So I've learned to put my faith in God and not in people. But, like, just the fact that he was walking around in polo popped collars and backpacks and, like... And carrying around a teddy bear. His logo was a teddy yeah, bear yeah. for years. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, like, that. all of that stuff was the antithesis of like what I had experienced from hip hop in the mainstream. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't until I listened to Kanye that I found out that there were people that had been fighting for that space to exist in hip hop for a while. Like I got, I wouldn't have become such a great rapper if I hadn't listened to Andre 3000 and I ain't started mm. listening to three stacks until after I started listening to Kanye. Mm. Same thing with Lupe, yeah. same thing with, you know, so many artists. Yeah. I got into hip hop because it felt like an exclusionary space until I heard Kanye. I, also, you know what I'm saying? I'm like 10 years old at this time. So it's not like I was doing this deep <laughs> analytical dive into the misogyny of hip hop and shit, but I was just like, I was like, yeah, I like you know, this. I, I like yeah, this. I, I feel this. I'm, yeah, exactly. speaking to me. I'm risk it all right now. It's a life or death situation, man. Y'all, y'all, y'all really understand how. Do you and Kanye still talk? Yeah, he texted me a couple weeks ago. He's in Italy working on some music. Okay. You know, it's funny. This is a conversation about you and Azarap and 10 years of Azarap, but, you know, Kanye is a part of some You'd of this origin story. you be surprised how often this happens. Okay. We're not going <laughs> to derail it, though. But I will say, okay. like, what does the trajectory of Kanye uh-huh. and the things he's been in, does it say something larger about the way the industry treats black men? the way this life can take a toll on you. Like, I love Kanye West. I love his music. I, yeah. I, I love, he, he's meant so much to me throughout the years. But I see his trajectory and his path, and I'm like, damn, if not a lesson in here, like, what is the cautionary tale of navigating the industry, if there is one? Yeah, I feel like the main thing that I've always learned from Kanye and loved from Kanye is that he is fearless man and being fearless always comes with consequences and always comes with lessons but 
if you can't eliminate the fear, you can't move, you paralyzed. And so there's been so many times throughout history that I was a Kanye apologist way before mm. I was famous. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that when that Taylor Swift situation went down, oh, yeah. that was a lot of people's turning point. Fuck Kanye was now. Same mm. thing when he said the shit about George Bush not caring about black people. Now we can look back on these moments in fondness and say, oh, he was right. But I watched a lot of people, black folks included, be like, fuck this nigga. Like, <laughs> yeah. who does he think yeah. he is to say this? And yeah. You know, like I said, like he's human and so he's not always right, but he always says what he truly believes with a certain sense of fearlessness that like mm. I learn from. I always tell people like not always tell people, but like sometimes when we have conversations about influence and like the blessing of coming after certain people or living in the same mm. uh, lifespan as other people is the things mm. that we get to pick up from them. And I'm lucky enough to have where a lot of people are contemporaries with these people. I'm a literal student of Kanye West, Jamie Foxx, Donald Glover, yeah. like people yeah. that like are multi-hyphenate. And I feel like because of that, I'm better off, you know? More with Chance the Rapper after the break. We talk politics and family and what advice he would have given himself 10 years ago. Also, listeners, if you love this show, give us a rating, give us a review. Thanks to everyone who has already done so. We see you and we appreciate you. One of the things I think of a lot in your journey in the last 10 years since Acid Rap was entering this space where as a black man in hip-hop who is famous, you got to be a little outspoken on politics. You have spoken in detail about Chicago electoral politics. Um, mm -hmm. You know your shit when it comes to that stuff. You know, you've talked about other issues in politics, but I've seen and heard less from you on that front these days. Mm -hmm. What has been your philosophy in the last 10 years about how much you dabble in those spaces? Felt like for a while you were really into talking about politics and now it seems like you're not, but I'm wondering what's going on there. Yeah, I think like before my understanding of politics was that it was through the governing bodies and systems that are in place in the states and I've just I guess kind of become a little, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm just a little, what? a little jaded. It's not even jaded. I, I feel like I, it's just like, I'm, I don't believe in that shit. Like I don't okay. believe in that shit anymore. When you say you don't believe in it anymore, I really want to unpack that. Are you saying you don't believe in electoral politics anymore to affect change? Or are you saying something else? I'm curious. I'm, I'm also like a whole fucking like <laughs> public figure. So I don't want to like, dissuade anybody from whatever it is that they believe is important and, and you know yeah. we're black so like it's like a big yeah. very big deal for us to be able to have the right to vote and to vote without being terrorized or you know um but, yeah but i hear what you're saying i mean i covered election 2016 and i traveled the country for a year and a half talking to folks trying to educate them and then the guy who got the fewest votes won after yeah. all that work and it's like, I could totally see a scenario in which someone like you or someone like me is like, 
I don't want to talk about politics anymore because we tried and it didn't work. I'm wondering if you feel like you're in that boat. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't put all my eggs in the Hillary versus Trump basket, to be honest with you. I mean, like, my I, basket was kind of just like, not that dude. Yeah, that was yeah, my no, basket. He's still no, 100%. Off, you know, a lot off. Yeah, go ahead. Bro. 100%. Yeah. I just don't, I don't think, like, I think I've gotten more, a better understanding of my identity and placement in the world outside mm. of notoriety or or mm. monies because in certain spaces neither one of those matter when somebody could tell that i'm black <laughs> but like that part i think i'm recognizing how this system works and how they you know man it's such say a it. deep conversation say it, say it. listen yeah I, no it's just, a, it's just a thing where like man the people that get what they want don't always do it the quote-unquote fair way or and, and even when they do they still are able to manipulate the system and black folks natural destiny in the, in the near future is to collectivize not even just from a national perspective, but an international lens and create a more homogenous body. We attach so many other categories to our identity that kind of keep us splintered. And I hear that. I think the only time that we're allowed to be the black people is when we're the black vote. And again, like, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from voting or from like making their voice heard or like any shit like that. Like, mm -hmm. I'm really just like, I'm very focused on politics. I'm just focused on it from a, in a different space. This is the most guarded I've heard you in this conversation so far. I, you got to know, you got to understand. So it's like, like I told myself, I wasn't even going to talk about shit like I that know, anymore. So I know, it's like to tell you that I no, don't want to talk about yeah. it, I got to give a long explanation. Yes. And I get it. And I keep noodling here because I'm reminded of something you said in an interview you did with The New Yorker a few years ago. Uh -huh. um, this was when Obama was out of office, Trump was in office, but there were questions about whether Obama should be doing more as a former president. Mm -hmm. And The New Yorker, I think it was David Remnick even, asked if you were critical of Barack Obama at all. And you said in the interview, quote, I think I am. I just don't think I am in white spaces. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and like I feel that snaps that sounds like me. I feel like, yeah, very, I feel like very tongue in cheek. <laughs> I feel like when you talk about politics, you are v so much more aware of who's hearing it, yeah, and how they're hearing it, and you're more guarded on that stuff than you are on just like the music. Would it be fair to say that? Yeah, I think it's like a it's like one of the more important things that I could talk about. And I, there's a great sense of like responsibility. I feel. So you got to understand this, right? So yeah, people know on a surface level that my dad worked in politics, right? Like for Obama. Like, yeah. For, like for was Obama. In it. Yeah. 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 But also like my grandmother got the first black mayor of Chicago elected through volunteer I work. That. Yeah. Wow. And which is what okay. got my dad into politics. And my, and, and my grandmother was also, a staunch supporter of Kwame Ture and uh, or huh. Stokely Carmichael and, and was yeah. very militant black woman, you know what I'm saying? With a 19 or 20 year old with like four kids and not a lot of money was spending her time volunteering to work for the advancement of black people. And my great grandmother was, you know, when King would come to Chicago, she would walk with him like wow. and work with him. And, and I think wow. like when I think about politics, Anytime I get a question about it, 
first thing that happens is my brain fills up with all the things that I'm mad about. And then mm. the second thing that happens is I start to think about how I could be misquoted or misunderstood. Yeah, I get that. And then I try and speak on it with both parts of my brain working at the same time. And it comes off as guarded. And honestly, I get it. I mean, like, you've been in this industry for a while now. You know what one quote will do. One quote, right? Yeah. So I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just curious. And, I, and yeah. I've also, like, grown because I've been in it for 10 years where I'm not a, even as worried about a quote being misunderstood. I'm, I'm more worried about myself being misunderstood because a quote misdirects everybody. So it just, it's like, that's just the game that we play though. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. no, I get it. I get it. Listen, and, and you have more than indulged the question period. So I promise we'll move on, but thank you for being so candid about just how you feel about it. I really appreciate that. Oh yeah. No, it's a great interview. I want to talk about this idea of critique and when, where, and how you critique when it comes to hip-hop itself. You know, this is the 50th anniversary year of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. You've seen all the press coverage. Everyone's talking about hip-hop and the history and where it came from. But I'm also noticing in this conversation about hip-hop's 50th anniversary, I'm not seeing as much conversation as I would hope to see talking about homophobia in hip-hop, talking about sexism mm. in hip-hop, talking about the glorification of extreme wealth in hip-hop. Do you think that our conversation, and I say R, the Royal, capital O, R, mm-hmm. do you think our conversation about f- hip-hop turning 50 is as critical as it needs to be, as it should be? I think it's always a good time to have conversation about how we could be better. Mm. But I also think that there's a time and space for c- celebration and Hip hop is the dominating culture in terms of fashion, in terms of music, in terms of art and direction and, and everything. In, in terms it, of it, language, everything. Yeah, yeah, language. It mobilizes all of the capitalist movements and all of the promotions and advertising and marketing and <laughs> all of these things like are, are using our car to get there. And our car is supposed to have us in the front seat driving. And we're just still like, I don't know, we're just still figuring it out. We're still in the backseat arguing. Mm. And I, I a hundred, it's not even about me agreeing. It's just fact that we do have a, a huge problem with homophobia. We do have a huge problem with sexism. We do have a huge problem with misogyny, with violence, with, you know, with, with, with a lot of stuff. And it's not, but that's the other thing is like, I hate to sound like I keep flip-flopping, but hip-hop is a reflection of the world. It's not It's not there you go. just yeah. a promotional tool. It's also it's what people are experiencing and what people grew up understanding. And so we do need to fix hip-hop to fix the people. But it's like, it comes down to, that's what I'm tasked yeah, with. Yeah, but think. also, like, I, hip-hop is not going to give people affordable housing or universal health care. Right. Straight or up. Or better schools. Hip-hop is not going to undo redlining, right? Like, Straight it's up. like, is it hip-hop's responsibility? I do wonder, though, hearing you talk about, you know, these list of things that it would be good if hip-hop dealt with, the misogyny, the homophobia, the glorification of wealth, etc. Do you think things are getting better on any of those fronts? Because I'm not sure. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say neither reaction, no. Okay. Yeah. But I think like, so I started this festival last year, this year, called the Black Starline Festival. And the the goal of it is to create free week-long activations in different Black countries 
I had some conversations with my grandma, who I was just telling you, was a staunch Stokely Carmichael supporter. And she was just teaching me about, you know, the global Black identity. And after learning more about Marcus Garvey and his efforts to create Black mobility, I realized that, like, I was never given really an opportunity to tour Africa. And the only, you know, show that I ever did on the continent was in South Africa, which is where typically where we go when bigger artists go over there. Mm -hmm. But I've been in every nook and cranny in Europe. I've played Asia, I've played Australia, I've played South America. But in order for me to get to West Africa, I would have to put on my own concert. And in going to Ghana, I realized that the infrastructure and appetite existed for not only me to play a show, but so many other artists. Mm. And we we ended up putting it on this past year with myself, T-Pain, Erica Badu, Dave Chappelle. All these awesome, huge A-list artists came out to Africa and put on a show for free. It really put a better understanding and a new identity on all of us where we don't have to be we don't have to be black Americans. We don't have to be Ghanaians. We don't have to be Africans. We don't have to be. It's we, about we the just collective. Have to, we it's just have, exactly. We got to be brothers and sisters. I recognize that we all play a role in everything that happens and the way that it happens. And, and I think that if we are to move in the direction that we're going to move towards upper mobility, towards mm -hmm. liberation, mm -hmm. towards acceptance, towards uh, self-love. Like it's going to come through our tool that's lasted 50 years. Like hip hop didn't just last because we let it last. It didn't just survive, you know, the same shit that happened to all the people that Elvis fucked over and the Beach Boys fucked over. Mm -hmm. That happened in hip hop. That's yeah. happening today in hip hop. Yeah. And yeah. hip hop has survived. And I think that's it has a divine reason to because it is our tool for, for black liberation. It's just waiting on its right moment. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to hear where this conversation is going, because I'm hearing you talk about blackness in the collective in the Pan-African sense. I'm hearing you talk about structural issues in industries like hip hop. Uh -huh. I'm hearing you talk about what it would take for universal uplift of all the people. And I'm like, oh shit. I thought Chance was fully woke back when Acid Rap came out, but like <laughs> you're on a higher level now. And I feel like there's been, at least from what I'm hearing in this conversation, a bit of an education just for you since Acid totally. Rap was released on what hip-hop means, what blackness means, and how an artist like Chance Rapper fits into that. What do you think has been the biggest shift in terms of the way you think about hip-hop and blackness and your role in those things since Acid wow. Rap was released 10 years ago? I mean, I kind of look at it all as one day. <laughs> like, it's all, huh. Acid Rap was yesterday to me. Like everything wow. that happened in between. I also did a lot of drugs, so I have terrible memory loss issues. <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Like the experience of opening for three major white artists all in the same year and that being a, a huge catapult in terms of the amount of people that knew who I was is an eye opener. 
rapping for 20,000 people in a crowd that's 80% white and nigga is the loudest word that they scream back to you. Like that shit, that shit will make you think. But I would say the biggest thing that changed me was like mm-hmm. I said, the co- phone conversation I had with my grandma because she had got my okay. baby soon. Um, and this is when Kinsley was like, mm, like five years old. They were kids books and that they were like formatted for kids. But mm-hmm. the two books were on Juneteenth, which I didn't think was too heavy. But also there was one on the Tulsa race riot. And oh. so I, I called her and I was like, hey, you know, I love you. But like, what? what, what <laughs> like, what you this? doing? What, what you yeah, doing? Well, yeah. Do you, do you really want me to read this? And she was like, and she just really like taught my ass. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like her talking to me about that and telling me the importance of imparting that information on my daughter made me realize how important it is that I do that education for do myself. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other obvious big change was me going to Ghana for the first time. And mm. learning how recent a lot of revolution was. Like, you know, in my mind, and I know I probably sound dumb, but in my mind, I'm thinking Ghana and Nigeria have been around longer than America as, yeah. as they exist. But it's, yeah. you know, the Listen, exact same the time. The Brits have could, everybody fooled because they literally. got you convinced. Oh, we got tea time and crumpets. It's yeah. so cute. They were colonizing up until the 50s and 60s. That's Still, literally that's in literally Africa. the exact same time that King is marching on Selma. Yep. Ghana is becomes the first sub-Saharan African country to gain its independence from colonialism. My battery's about to die, and we've also gone way over the hour. Yeah. One last question. One that's last cool. question. I was going to ask what advice Chance the Rapper of 2023 would give to Chance the Rapper of 2013 who had just released Acid Rap 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But what I want to ask is, what advice would your wise grandmother have given to the Chance of 10 years ago who was just about to release Acid Rap? Or what advice do you wish your grandmother would have called you with the day before Acid Rap was released? Um, whoosh. My grandma could tell that I was doing drugs. She used to say, like, she could see it in my eyes. <laughs> they always know. They she used always to just, know. Like, not like I was high going to see her, but she was just like, you look worn down. I remember my grandma said this crazy prayer over me when I was mm. working on Asherah, where she said, uh, I prayed to God that everything that you do that is not like him will fail and crumble. And I was Ooh. like, do you just put a curse on me? Like, Ooh. I'm trying to get on. I'm trying to make it. But like that's some black grandmother ish. That's right some black there. grandmother stuff right there, right? I think she would give me the same advice that she gave me. If whether she knows ten years later or not, she would say the same prayer. And I'm I'm in the same boat. Like if I was to talk to myself ten years ago, I would just say I'm I'm proud of you. Mm. There's something so poetic about the journey that I've been on. If I if I could have every memory, I would watch this movie over and over again because it's so. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Remember the first time you heard this doing and thought, damn, that's that nigga. <laughs> Everything's good. Chance, thank you for all you do. Thank you for thank making you, music that has been the soundtrack of my life for the last 10 years. Thanks I to your grandmother. Uh, yeah, thank you, Mama Jane. Thanks Jan. for all of this. Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. to Acid Rap and... 
everything else you do after this. I'm, I'm ready for all of it. I'm ready for all I of it. I appreciate it. You know what? It's the 50th yeah. year anniversary of hip hop and the 10 year anniversary of Rap. So in 10 years, on the 60th anniversary, on the 20th, you know, if we're both still around, God willing, let's, let's do, do let's another do conversation. A, let's see if, we, if anything changed. Yeah. I will bring the chicken wings. I promise. Let's do it. Thanks again to Chance the Rapper. He is on his mini tour right now for the 10-year anniversary of Acid Rap. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabi Grossman, Jelani Carter, Taka Zen, and Oluwakimi Aladesui. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. Listeners, we are back on Friday with a brand new episode. Until then, ride down your street real low, basing out real loud to the song Juice from Acid Rap. Because it's so good. Okay, bye. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.